Welcome to Off Hours, a conversation between John Edwards and Chris Manning. So I got a new pen recently, a, a, a proper pen, not a stick. I, okay, I was going to ask, is this a stick or a pen? <laughs> a, a good and proper fountain pen. <laughs> okay. It was uh, given to me by a, by a friend. She won a whole bunch of components from uh, Montegrappa pens at an auction recently. So in talking about that, we came to discuss fountain pens and, and whatnot. And it sh- turns out she has, uh, has quite the collection herself conversation turned to getting good deals and whatnot. And uh, she mentioned a pen she got off eBay a couple of years back that was of, of Chinese make with a German nib that uh, she was quite impressed with. And uh, lo and behold, a week or so later, she presented me with one of my own. So it's not a pricey pen, nowhere near the the realm that your fine pens sell for, but uh, it is a fountain pen does write quite nicely, and uh, I'm actually quite impressed with the the build quality of it, given that she says they were only about $5 at the time that, that she bought them. And uh, this particular one is, is called a dupe. Now, it's got a, a nice, I would say, gentle or soft feel to, to the flow. I mean, it's nowhere nowhere near the sort of thing that, that you write with. When I use your pens, uh, the ones that you have customized for yourself. It's almost like writing with a razor blade. It's uh, been a pleasure to write with this. And she gave me uh, some nice ink to go along with it as well. What did you uh, what did you get for for ink from her? Ottoman Azure is the the name of the ink that uh, she gave me along with the pen. So it's got the little what would you call it a pump fill? That's a standard uh, cartridge converter. It's it just has a little piston mechanism in it for for filling. So which brand is the is the ink from? Who who makes the ink? Oh, that I don't know. I will tell you momentarily. Dun, dun, dun. Noodlers, that's what I thought. Okay. There you have it. Noodlers, Inc. I am very much a, a neophyte when it comes to it's okay. that's, writing instruments. Guess what? You're, uh, you're on a podcast with a guy who knows about pens. So There you have it. Uh, tonight I will answer your questions and probably give you more information than you wanted to know about pens. <laughs> Let's talk about a few things then. I, unfortunately, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna burst your bubble just a little bit here. I, I doubt that that's actually a, a German-made nib. Um, so we'll talk about nibs briefly. Fair enough. There are a couple of large companies in the world who make nibs, and of course, the nib is one of the most important parts of the writing experience because that's you know sort of where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And the doesn't matter whether you have. $5,000 pen made by Silverhand Studios, or if you have a $5 pen made by Jinhao in China, uh, the nib is really a large part of what, what the writing experience is like. And in combination with the nib, the feed as well, uh, we'll talk about it a bit. The two of them together really have, have a significant impact on the writing experience. The two main companies in Germany that are doing nibs are Yovo and Bach. And and they're they're probably the two that are doing the best quality nibs that that aren't being made by a brand. Someone like uh Sailor, they're they're making their own nibs and they're doing better better quality nibs than than Yovo or Bach are, but but they're also only available for their pens. As a manufacturer, I can go to Yovo or Bach and I can buy nibs from them and put them in my pens. And and they're they're easy to get. It's sort of like going to a turn and buying movements. Uh, the Chinese do make a lot of nibs, and it's funny because a lot of people believe that the nibs are made in Germany because they are stamped 
Iridium Point, Germany. It sort of appears as if these nibs are being made in Germany. And that's not, in fact, the case. They're being made in China. The tipping material on the very end of the nib is being made in Germany. So they're, they're being technically correct when they stamp Iridium Point, Germany, because that's, you know, the tipping material is from Germany. But the nib is really being made in, in China. So if you're looking at a pen and, and it, says, it says that on the pen uh, or on the nib, it, it's, it's a Chinese nib. It's not a, uh, it's not a German nib that you're seeing. That's similar to buying your mid-range Swiss watch that has its case and bracelet and basically everything you're, you're touching and experiencing with the watch made in, in Asia somewhere. Sure. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to the experience of writing with a pen, you know, we've talked about the, just briefly about the nib. That's obviously the, the most important thing. Uh, the feet is also important, and that is the black plastic piece that sits under the nib. And that's what feeds the ink from the cartridge converter, typically, in the barrel of the pen down to the nib. And that's using capillary action to draw that ink down. And because it's using capillary action, the, the little channels that are in the feed are critical for making sure that you get good ink delivery. There's a few other things in terms of the geometry of the nib and stuff like that, but we're not going to get into the, into the details of all that. It's uh, just a little bit more than most people care to know. But the, the feed mechanism is important, and, and you need to ensure that those channels are clean and that they don't get closed up. So just like a mechanical watch with a fountain pen, you do need to maintain it. Uh, so you do need to clean it regularly and make sure that that feed isn't full of, of dried ink. It's important not to use hot water when you're cleaning the feed because it can, can warp the plastic uh, and close up that channel and, and all of a sudden you don't get good feed of ink. So what's your standard procedure? Cold water, flush it out. We can do a, a more detailed thing on how to, how to clean stuff. We should have a friend of the show, Paul Burberry, on uh, one day and to talk a little bit about maintenance of pens and whatnot. He's, he does quite a bit of work repairing and maintaining pens, and I'm sure he could give us some, uh, some good tips and tricks on, on how to do that and some of the horror stories of the pens he's, uh, he's had come across his, his uh, bench. But the feed does have a, have a significant impact on, on the quality of the writing, mostly in terms of how the ink gets delivered to the, to the nib. Uh, so that's that's also important, and that's another place where the better quality nibs, the better the better quality pens have excellent feeds, and they they feed ink consistently. Uh, you don't get sort of blotches of ink all of a sudden coming out, and you don't want to have uh, sort of a stutter start as as you're starting to write. You want to make sure that the the ink is consistent and it flows. So the feed is is also important, and and that goes hand in hand with the uh, with the nib. On top of that, the ink is extremely important. Uh, the quality of the ink that you're that you're using, and something that that most people find out eventually is that not all inks work well with all pens. Mm. Uh, there are inks out there that you may love, and you've been using it for years in a pen, and then you try using that same ink in a new pen that you've just bought, and it doesn't work as well. The, that's just the reality of how inks and pens work well together. There's different viscosities. There's different density of pigment. Uh, there, there are various additives that are that are put into inks that sometimes they just don't work well together. Uh, this is particularly a problem if you're getting into vintage pens. I, I recommend if you're going to get into vintage pens, it's worthwhile buying ones that have been restored properly by someone. 
you know, unless you unless you want to get into restoring and and fiddling with it, it's worthwhile getting one that's been restored properly. But not all modern inks work well with vintage pens. So sometimes you have to experiment a little bit and find the combinations of inks and pen that you like and, and ones that work well. So some some may not flow properly, some may flow too much. And uh, and so you have to experiment a little bit with that. A lot of older inks are also very corrosive and they're horrible. And don't ever use vintage inks in modern pens, please, unless you don't care about the pen. Uh, they can be they can be quite corrosive. And I don't, unless you really know what you're doing, I don't really recommend that you take old inks and use them in anything. Uh, they're not really, a lot of them were not good. They they were make, producing cheap ink and they just didn't care about a lot of the, you know, or they were using additives to avoid other things. And so they, and they, they didn't really realize the, the impact of, of some of the additives that they were putting in. So I certainly don't recommend a lot of vintage inks, and I wouldn't recommend putting them into a modern pen if you care about the pen, uh, because it can certainly do damage to the pen. Uh, one big thing with a lot of vintage inks is that they are not as heavily pigmented as modern inks are. A lot of modern inks, so for instance, you were talking about about your uh, Ottoman Azure from Noodler's Ink, and Noodler's tend to have very heavily pigmented inks, and so they're they can cause problems with some vintage pens because they tend to clog up the feed mechanism and the uh, the little capillary channels in the feed. So it's a it's a bit of give and take. You have to f- sort of experiment a bit with the inks that are out there and and find ones that you like. Uh, fortunately, a lot of stores now sell small samples of ink instead of committing to buying a whole bottle of an ink. You can actually get uh, get a small sample of it instead. And you can do, you know, some tests on the on the pens that you use. You can do some tests on the paper that you use, and you can see how you know how they all react together. You know, everything they all they all interact a little bit differently with each other, and and they they can be a bit finicky. So that's that's the one downside of writing with a pen is that you do have to sort of experiment a little bit to find out what works, or talk to people who have done the experimentation and say, okay, what do you what do you like with this pen? What works? So. Sounds like in your case, your friend gave you the the pen and the ink together, and mm-hmm. she probably knew that this this pen and ink are were going to work well together. She's literally written an entire novel and using this same make of pen and, and this very same ink. And so she's yeah, so she's going to be very familiar with how well it works, and and that and that helps having having somebody, you know, having a knowledgeable friend who gives you that that combination to start with is is certainly beneficial, and and that that works and. And it's the same thing with me. I, if if you're buying a pen for me, I can tell you a whole range of inks that work very well with my pens. You know, I can give you a sort of a head start on on finding a, a combination that can work for you. So on on top of the ink, so you've got the nib, the feed, the ink, and then the last thing that's a critical when it comes to a good writing experience is the paper, uh, because not all paper is created equal. Now, before we move on to paper, Chris, little drum roll, your ink of choice. Well, I was going to come to that afterwards. All right, fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, move on to paper. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Need a little bit of anticipation here. All right, all right. Um, Leaving us hanging. Well, I wanted to talk about the the critical pieces <laughs> of of the the writing yeah, experience absolutely. first, and then come back and give Go some details about some of this after. So the last piece of the puzzle when it comes to the quality of writing and and the the quality of the writing experience is the paper, and not all paper is created equal. A lot of the changes with paper 
they're, they have a lot less to do with what the body of the paper is made from and more to do with how the paper has been sized. And so a size is a coating that goes on the paper and it affects a lot of different things. So for instance, if you take a laser printer paper, something that's intended to have a toner that's fused onto the surface of the paper, and you put that paper into an inkjet printer, you'll find that the quality of print is very low. And the reason for that is that the sizing that's on the paper is designed to handle very high temperature fusing of that that toner during the printing process. It's not designed for a liquid ink to be sprayed onto it. Whereas if you use a paper that's designed for inkjet printers, it's been sized properly for inkjet printers, and the ink isn't going to bleed into the paper like it will with a laser printer paper. However, if you try using that paper into a laser printer, you're going to have problems with it. Uh, Maybe the toner won't fuse to the paper properly. Uh, Maybe the paper will buckle too much because it doesn't like the high temperature. And the same thing happens with, with pens. Some paper is designed to handle ink well from a fountain pen. Some of it's designed to handle ink from something like a, a rollerball or a ballpoint, which is, is more of a, um, a gel-based ink. So it depends, on, it depends on the paper that you have and how well it's designed to handle the type of ink that you're, that you're writing with. So if you get all, all of these things working well together, you get a good nib, the good feed, good ink, and good paper you'll get a great writing experience and it will be significantly better than than writing with anything else out there. So on the paper front, mm-hmm. in, in this particular context, uh, how do you spell size? I believe it's just S-I-Z-E. For real? Wow. Okay. And this is the, the surface treatment on the on the paper? That's right. Interesting. Yeah. And and there are other things that can, that can affect it. So for instance, if you go into a, a quality art store and you look at paper, they can find you paper that's excellent for sketching, they can get you paper that is excellent for watercolor painting. You know, there there are many many types of paper out there, and some of them have been hot pressed, some of them have been cold pressed, some of them have been sized with uh, you know with chemicals to affect the way that uh, ink and water is absorbed into them. Not all paper is created equal, and just picking up a cheap notebook, for instance, and expecting to be able to write with it in you know, on a with a with a pen is not necessarily going to work. Uh, one of the the worst examples of paper for a pen is the thermal paper that's used in receipt printers. That thermal printer has a very shiny coating on it, and if you write on it, it'll write fine. You know, you'll you'll be able to put down a nice you know nice signature, for instance, on it. However, that ink will not dry quickly, so that becomes a problem when you're dealing with uh, with something like receipt printer paper, where it's uh, this thermal paper, and it is not designed to handle wet ink like that. So that's when you borrow the uh, the stick from your waitress and sign the, the printer paper with that. Ah, uh, so I see you're speaking from experience here, as in having tried to sign off on, on a credit card purchase with, with your very own pen. <laughs> uh, that makes sense now. That is the one downside. It it, uh, it does not right. work well for that. It's it's sort of like it's sort of like your mechanical watch does not automatically change time when uh, you know when the clocks go back in uh, in the fall, right? So do you have a, a particular type of paper you prefer to write? So when it comes to paper, uh, there there are 
dozens and dozens of papers and notebooks and there are hundreds of inks and hundreds of pens out there. One of the things I'm going to recommend to anybody who's who's really keen on learning about this, the gentleman you need to to listen to and and read is the pen addict himself, uh, Brad Dowdy. He runs a blog called The Pen Addict, and he also has a great podcast called The Pen Addict Podcast. Uh, that's over on Relay FM with Mike Hurley. Uh, I was a guest on that show many many moons ago and brad brad has been writing about pens and and reviewing pens and paper and ink for a very long time so if you're if you're really looking at digging into different types of pens different types of inks different types of papers if you if you find it out there there's a good chance that brad has reviewed it at some point his website is an excellent resource for finding out about particular you know particular combinations of things uh so it's it's worth worth going to uh to the penaddict.com if you want to find out more about some of this stuff uh for myself personally i like to write with uh rhodia notebooks and pads i find that their blocks of paper are a bit better than their notebooks their notebooks are about the cheapest paper i would buy for myself so if i've got a if i need a cheap notebook around in the office or something like that or or in the the shop, a Rhodia notebook is typically what I'm going to get. I do like their pads. I find that their the the block pads they have tend to be sized better than the notebooks are. And I'm not sure what the difference is. I'm not sure what they're what they're doing with their their pads versus their their notebooks. But I, I find that their pads tend to be a little bit better. And, and they're they have a, a number of different options out there. Everything from straight lines to to grid patterns uh, the dot patterns are quite nice where it's a, a grid the grid is made out of uh, light gray dots and it's quite nice to write on and very easy to read so sort of for my, for my low end my low end needs that tends to be what i use is the rhodia stuff and and there's some people that like rhodia notebooks there are other people that don't but they they tend to work well for me for the pens that i use and and whatnot they don't handle if you have a very wet pen uh, I find their notebooks tend to bleed through the page a little bit too much, although their pads tend to be pretty good. They don't bleed through very much. For the higher-end notebooks that I use, stuff like the uh, Stology notebook that I recommended, the the planner or journal that I recommended a few episodes back, uh, something like that is using Tomoe River paper. Uh, it's a paper out of Japan. It's very thin. There are a couple of different thicknesses of their paper, but both are still quite thin compared to to most paper that we think of. It is superb. It's very, very smooth. It is beautifully sized. It can tend to uh, take a little bit of time to for ink to dry on it, uh, much like the thermal paper on the receipt printer, but not as long as something like that. So it's certainly a reasonable amount of time. Uh, but you do need to be careful if you swipe your hand over the page immediately after you write, you'll probably probably pick up a lot of the ink as you're uh, as you're swiping your hand. So Tomoe River paper, it, it will not bleed through. It, it doesn't matter how heavy the ink is; it, it's not going to bleed through to the other side. If it's a really heavy flow of ink out of your pen, you may find that it takes a few seconds for it to dry after you finished writing. But I, I certainly enjoy the Tomoe River paper in various products that I use. I've got a couple of notebooks that use it and. And as I said, I've, I, my journals use that uh, use that paper, and that's quite nice. 
This was a, a Japanese paper. It is, yeah. That's I. I don't know. I don't know if Tomoe's the the name of the company that's producing it. They used to sell it primarily in loose bundles, so you would just get a bundle of paper, and it's not the cheapest paper when you buy it like that. Mostly due to import fees and shipping it across from Japan. It's certainly a lot less expensive if you're in Japan and you're buying it. But a lot of people have started making notebooks out of it because it it is so thin, you can put hundreds of pages in a notebook and it's still thinner than a, uh, a notebook from, let's say, Rhodia that has a quarter of the pages in it. So it's, it's quite nice from that point of view. You can get a, a lot of paper into a notebook and it's not going to produce a, a super thick notebook out of it. I think for most people, you'll they find that the the notebook is the is the challenging one to find. I have dozens and dozens and dozens of notebooks uh, scattered around the the house from various kickstarters and companies and samples that I've gotten at pen shows. Uh, you know, all in an attempt to try and find the paper that I like. And it, it took me a while to find paper that I was really happy with. And that's why, in my case, I've settled on the Rhodia and the Tomoe River paper uh, for my needs. And and it's really just from from experimentation and trying the different papers out there and the different notebooks that are out there and, and what works well. And a lot of the other products on the market, they work okay. They're not, you know, they're certainly not horrible. But the uh, the ones that I've chosen tend to be a good balance for me between practicality, cost, performance, that kind of thing. And, and I'm just happy with the way that they've come across. So yeah, it's, uh, it, the paper is a trick. It's, it's difficult to, to get a good sense of the, of the quality of the paper and how it's going to perform with your, your combination of nib and, and pen and ink without actually having a chance to, to write on it. So if you happen to have a, a pen group in your local area, uh, for instance, here in Ottawa, the uh, Ottawa Fountain Pen Society meets uh, on a monthly basis, and that that kind of thing can be an excellent chance to try out different paper and see how it works with your particular combination of uh, of pen and ink. Same thing with going to pen shows; you'll often find samples of paper at pen shows. Uh, some of the better stores that are out there. Uh, they'll often have uh, samplers of, of paper that you can get as well. You do need to experiment a little bit, but once you find something that you like, it the, the nice thing is that paper is pretty consistent. Uh, so you, if, you, if you find a paper that you're, that you're happy with, uh, buying it on a consistent basis means that it, it's going to perform the same way. You know, the, the go-to sketchbook, the number of the designers use in the, the industrial design studio at, at Apple are the, the cache sketchbooks by Taylor Rowney. Hmm. I, I've not taken my uh my fancy duke pen to the pages <laughs> of uh a daily rowney yet but uh, i would imagine it would, it would hold up fairly well yeah i'd be interested to find out how well it holds up to uh, a pen uh with ink in it like that but the, the reason it popped to, to mind for me for whatever whatever reason is that thinking of, of sketching because i this pen holding it here in my hand brought to mind a forum post i saw on a watch forum more than 10 years ago, but a number of watch collectors also tend to collect pens. But one of them posted a series of sketches that that he did with fountain pen. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely blown away by um, just the emotion that he was able to capture with these pen sketches, just the the change in the the weight of the lines and things like that. 
I haven't seen captured in, in quite the, the same way in a, any other medium. It would probably be next to impossible for me to, to go and, and try and dig those images up, but if I can find anything similar, I'll uh, post in the, the show notes. I can I can recommend something similar. A uh, friend of the show, Stephen Strang, he uh, he's a an artist here in town. He's Alchemical Rat Studios. He does some uh, some wonderful paintings, and as you know, I'm I'm a fan of his art, and and I have a number of his paintings on my wall. And he's been a good friend for a number of years. And if you follow him on Instagram, you'll find he posts many many doodles and sketches. Uh, when he's in meetings, he he tends to doodle and sketch, and he is doing all of those sketches with a fountain pen. Mm. Uh, so we can we can link to some of his uh, some of his artwork because he does uh, he does some wonderful sketches with uh, with pen and ink, and and yeah, he's he's using he's using a fountain pen. And we'll talk a little bit about what he's done to help himself with that because uh, nib modification is something that once you once you get deep enough into the rabbit hole, you become unsatisfied with with stock nibs and and you start modifying nibs the the straps of the the pen world <laughs> yes exactly they people like to customize their watches and it's the same kind of thing here they they like to customize their nib although again it's something people tend not to customize their nib until they've sort of been in the addiction for enough time to to figure out that that's the next thing that they can do instead of just buying pens they can they can get the nibs modified as well hmm. Now you mentioned the crossover in this forum between watch collectors and pen collectors, and there's certainly the the Venn diagram of collectors of both of those things certainly crosses over. And uh, the other collection that uh, that a lot of people have is uh, knives. The three types of collectors certainly are are typically interested in the other things as well. Uh, so you often see people in the at at pen shows selling watches or. Or showing off watches as well, so yeah, you'll you'll see there's a there's a huge intersection between all those groups of people and flashlights and cars and there's all, all sorts of yeah yeah. There's a few other tangential things, but yeah, I found that I found that those three are the primary ones that people tend to collect. All right, so the ink. So the ink. The ink that I use is a Japanese ink. I know that'll be shocking to you. Uh, so the ink that I use is from the Pilot Pen Company in Japan. And it is their Iroshizuku ink. Uh, that's the brand of ink that they make. They they do have uh, another just pilot branded ink that they sell. Uh, but the Iroshizuku ink is a higher quality ink that they started producing a few years ago. I love this ink. I find it much nicer to work with than most of the ink that's out on the market. Uh, it is relatively heavy in terms of pigmentation, not quite as heavy as something like a noodler's ink, but more importantly, it has incredible shading. So whereas something like a noodler's ink is going to have a very even shade across the width of a of a pen stroke, the Iroshizuku ink tends to be more expressive. It 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 has a better range of shading across uh, the width of a pen stroke, especially as you get into a broader pen stroke, it'll look nicer. And it's sort of the difference between going from a black and white line drawing to a grayscale drawing, where all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, you have more nuance in there, and it uh, it can it's it's a bit more expressive. And this ties in with some of my preferences for for nibs uh, that we can talk about. But the Yoroshizuku ink is gorgeous. They have 
fabulous colors. The bottles are a little bit more expensive than a lot of the ink on the market. So it's it's more expensive than a, a, a bottle of Noodler's ink. However, they're also much larger than a bottle of typical ink. And so the, you know, the, the price point, I think right now, so let's say Wonder Pens down in Toronto, uh, I think a, a bottle of Hiroshizuku ink is probably going to be somewhere around $28 Canadian. And 50 milliliters of ink is a lot of ink. So I write primarily with Konpeki is the ink color that I use from them. I've had that bottle now for three or four years, and that's my primary ink color. And I haven't gone through the bottle. I'm maybe halfway through it now. So you can get to, you can get a lot of good use out of a $28 bottle of ink uh, if you're buying something that large. Uh, the nice thing is that, again, somewhere like Wonder Pens, if you're not sure if you're going to enjoy it, uh, they sell little two milliliter sample bottles for $2. And Hiroshizuku have little sample bottles that you can buy. They're little uh, 15 milliliter bottles. And you buy them in a three pack and you get to mix and match which colors you want. So that way you have a chance to buy a couple of different colors that you may want. You may want to try out. You can then see if you like them. If you do, then you can buy the bigger bottles. And I've done that before as well, where I wasn't quite sure if, if the ink that I was looking at was one, one that I wanted, then I would uh, buy the little sampler pack. Uh, now the Konpeki ink that I buy, it has it's a, a, a really nice blue. Their colors are fabulous. The quality of the product is fabulous. I, I highly recommend the Yoroshizuku. Now, of course, that comes with the caveat that it's not necessarily going to work perfectly in your combination of pen and paper. So that's something that you need to experiment with a little bit. But uh, I know that in my pens, this combination of ink works really, really well. Uh, I know on the paper that I use, it works really well as well. The black ink that they sell is uh, the Takesumi, and that is that is also excellent. It's a beautiful, beautiful, rich black. Do you know if anyone's made a an ink with carbon nanotubes in it yet? <laughs> Sadly, no. No, I, nobody has. <laughs> Nobody's produced the blacker than black ink yet. It's a market waiting to be cracked. There is a blacker than black paint though that you can buy. I have heard of that. Yeah. Not tried it though. You? No, I haven't. I'm I'm thinking about ordering some though. Hmm. For your watch dials? <laughs> no, not for my watch dials. Right. So for someone who may never have written with a, a fountain pen before, but who is mm-hmm. curious, what would you what would be your number one recommendation for a, a starter pen? A lot of this comes down to the nib and the quality of nib that you're going to get. Now, I mentioned earlier two German companies, Yovo and Bach, who make nibs. Uh, I use Yovo nibs in my pens when I'm making pens. And you can find pens significantly less expensive than mine that use Yovo nibs as well. When I was searching around and looking for, for nibs, just like when I was searching around for, for watch movements, I, I experimented with a number of different companies and a number of different brands. And I found that the Yovo nibs, the combination of their nibs and their feeds were excellent. Out of the, out of the box from the factory, they wrote very, very well. They were beautifully smooth, uh, very responsive, and the ink flowed very well out of them. And that's why I, I eventually ended up choosing the Yovo nibs. Now, when you're looking at nibs, there's two ways primarily that you can go with them. You can either go with a steel nib or you can go with a gold nib. There are companies that are doing titanium nibs these days, but they're problematic and I would stay away from them if, uh, unless you know what you're doing or you're 
you're bored with your other pens and you want to experiment a little bit with it, I would I would avoid the uh, the titanium nibs if you can. If you're starting out with pens, stick with the the steel nibs. They're, the pens are going to be a significantly less expensive. You're still going to get a good writing experience out of them if you get a good quality nib. So I look around for pens that have Yovo nibs in them. Uh, the steel nibs even are excellent. The big difference between the steel nib and the gold nib is the flexibility of the nib itself. Uh, an 18 karat gold nib is going to be a little bit more flexible than a steel nib will be. And that's not going to have significant impact on you until you sort of have a little bit of experience writing and you, and you, you start to learn a little bit about the nuance of writing with a pen. Uh, with a gold nib, you can apply a little bit more pressure to it and get a bit more variance with it. You know what you're doing. You can have more expressive writing with it later. It can also feel a little bit better as you're writing with it. But having said that, just because you know you're a more experienced writer doesn't necessarily mean you're going to enjoy writing with a gold nib as much. Brad Dowdy, who I mentioned earlier in the show, he even though even though he's been writing with pens for years and he's uh you know he's been a an avid fountain pen user for for years, uh, he still prefers a steel nib. Uh, he he prefers the stiffer nib, and uh, he prefers the way that it writes. So. The pens that I would probably look at first that do use Yovo nibs are from Twisby. They are a South Korean company, I believe, and they make uh, they make some relatively inexpensive pens. Uh, they're not five dollars, but uh, they do make some. They do make a number of pens under a hundred dollars, and they are excellent pens. Tamara writes with a Twisby five eighty. And uh, she's a big fan of that. Uh, the nice thing about them is that they're good quality pens. They've been manufactured well. And because they use Yovo nibs, it's very easy to change the nibs out. And so if you're unhappy with a nib, there are a number of people out there who sell Yovo nibs separately. And so you can then change out the nib yourself and put in a different nib, and you get effectively a different pen or a different writing experience out of it, but you haven't changed the body, you haven't necessarily invested another $60, $70, $80 or whatever in a pen. It's a, a good option in terms of getting a quality pen and getting a nice writing experience out of it as well. Other companies like uh, Pelican make a nice, uh, you know, make some some lower-end pens that are quite nice as well. Again, quite pleasant to write with. Pelican make uh, nice nibs for their pens. There are a few options out there. Again, Brad has some excellent choices. If you want less expensive pens than what I'm suggesting, Brad has some some excellent sort of top 10 lists of, of his favorite pens, and they're worth checking out. You know, again, most people, they think, okay, an $80 pen, that's not, that's not a cheap pen. You know, I still think those are pretty inexpensive pens, and if you're going to, you're going to write with a, a pen or get somebody a nice pen, that's a reasonable you know, reasonable cost to, to pay for a, for a pen. Uh, but as I said, there are some less expensive ones out there. So I see here that you can uh, order the the Twisby 580 with an, several different nibs. Being a, a first time pen purchaser, what what would be the the nib that you would recommend pairing with the the Twisby? When you're looking at pens, there's usually options for the size of nib that you're getting, and it's not the overall size of nib that you're that you're looking at, but the the tip of the nib where you're actually writing and leaving a leaving a line on the page. You can, uh, on most good pens or reasonable pens, you can buy them with usually an extra fine, a fine, a medium, or a broad 
nib. And you'll find that that's not necessarily consistent between different different brands. Uh, typically, European brands are going to be relatively consistent in their sizes, and Asian brands are going to be a bit different than the European brands. So if you buy a Pilot, for instance, with an extra fine nib, it is not going to be the same as buying a Twisby with an extra fine nib. Uh, they're, they're usually different sizes, but uh, most European companies are going to be similar in size. And if you're buying between different pens that all have Yovo nibs, then they're all going to be the same uh, because they're, they're, the nibs are coming from the same place. Now, which one you choose really has a lot to do with your writing style. Smaller handwriting tends to do better with a, a smaller nib, so a finer nib. Uh, whereas if you have very large, very, uh, very flowing handwriting, uh, a larger nib is going to be better. For most people, I would probably recommend they go with a medium or a fine nib to begin with. I don't usually recommend a broad nib to anybody unless they really know that that's what they want. If somebody tells me that they want a broad nib, I ask them, is this the first pen that they're ordering with a broad nib? And if it is, I usually recommend against it and usually suggest they go with a medium instead. Uh, because a broad nib can be quite broad and you you really need to write large to, to have that work well for you because it is putting down a thicker line. So this, this nib size is going to directly impact how thick a line the, the, uh, the pen is putting down on paper. As you get into larger nib sizes, you also get into more expressiveness with the, the handwriting. You know, your, your letters are going to be more expressive because there is, there is a little bit more there. And this also plays into the shading that I was talking about earlier with the inks. Something like the, the Konpeki ink it looks great as with an extra fine nib, but as you write with it with a broad nib, you're going to see more of that shading coming out. And you're going to see more of that that uh, texture coming out of the ink. So for your first pen, I would say stick with a fine or a medium. If you if you tend to write smaller, go on the fine side. If you tend to write larger, go on the medium side. Uh, that's typically what I recommend to people. And then from there, you'll start to experiment with. If you experiment with other people's pens, uh, you'll get a sense of what what works well and what doesn't. Uh, when I mentioned earlier with our friend Steve, uh, he will take an extra fine nib and he will then grind the nib down himself to an ultra, ultra fine nib. It is like a needlepoint nib. I, I don't think he's ever found a, uh, an extra fine nib that was fine enough out of the, out of the factory for him. He's always ground them down to, to, be, to be extremely fine so that he can get the detail in the drawings that he likes. Uh, by comparison, I tend to prefer a very broad nib, and I get my nibs modified as well. Uh, now, I don't do them myself like Steve does. I usually get somebody who's a dedicated nib grinder to do work on my nibs. And so I will go to someone like uh, Mike Masuyama. Uh, he's in uh, Southern California. He does spectacular work grinding nibs. And a number of my pens have been ground to be a stub nib or an italic nib. And the difference with that is that instead of having a round ball on the end of the, the nib like a stock nib is, mine are very flat. And it means that in when I'm writing in one direction, I get a very broad stroke. And when I change direction and I go 90 degrees to that, I get a very, very fine stroke. And so I get a lot more expressiveness in my letter forms 
because as I'm as I'm pulling down towards me, for instance, the you know I get a nice broad line, and then as I sweep up to my right, I get a very very fine line, and that's something that I prefer because it makes my writing look more unique, and it is more expressive. Uh, however, it's something that you have to get used to, and you you mentioned earlier in the show how uh, how much difficulty you had writing with uh, with one of my pens. And the reason for that is because I have a very, very sharp italic nib. And if you don't hold it in just the right way, then the corner of that nib will catch on the page. That's not something that most people will look for initially. But if you hang around with enough pen people and you try enough pens, you'll run into somebody who has a custom ground pen. And you'll start to see the differences between them and what's what's available. If you buy some of the higher-end pens on the market, if you get into, uh, let's say, a higher-end higher end Pelican, you can often buy them with nibs that are, that are already shaped for that. They might be a stub, or it might be even an italic nib. And so you can buy them from the factory like that. But uh, most people who get that kind of work done, they'll, they'll talk to somebody who does custom nib grinding and they will have the the nib ground for them but typically typically you you know what you're looking for then and and I would suggest that you don't do that unless you've had a chance to experiment a little bit with with other people's pens that have been modified and and see what you prefer and what you what you like as with most things that are personalized like this uh handwriting obviously is something that's that's really personal for everybody and the way that they write is very personal really it it benefits you to to experiment with different things if you have a chance to go to a pen show uh, i i highly recommend it it can be a bit overwhelming but but i highly recommend it just for the opportunity to try different things if there's a a pen collectors group in your area then i recommend you you know you go out and visit with them uh, and and even if you've got a good pen shop locally you know wander in and and chat with the people there and see what they recommend uh, there are usually samples that you can try right then and there. You can try pens in the in the store. You can try inks in the store. So experiment a little bit. Find out what you like. Uh, it's just like finding a good pair of shoes. Uh, you, you know, the first pair of shoes that you try on may not be exactly what you're looking for, but uh, if you experiment a little bit, you'll find you know you'll eventually find something that you like. And as you try different pens, you'll start to get a better understanding of of what it is that you're looking for and and what you're uh, what you want. For those of you who are out there who are saying, well, this is great, but I don't know how to write because, sadly, writing is not something that we necessarily teach anymore in our schools, or if you have kids that don't know how to write yet, if you want to learn how to write well, then I can highly recommend uh, Cursive Logic. This is a book that was uh, Kickstarter a few years ago. This workbook is excellent. It walks people through how to how to write letter forms properly doing cursive writing and so if you if you've wanted to learn how to write or if you know someone who wants to learn how to write this is an excellent way of learning how to write properly and uh, sort of getting a head start on that so if you're not learning if your kids aren't learning it in school and you want them to this is uh this is an excellent way of doing that so i'll uh I'll put a link in the show notes to the website for uh, for this, but it's uh, I've I have backed it in the past as a Kickstarter, and the uh, the notebook is or the workbook is excellent and and certainly worth going through. Thanks for listening to Off Hours. 
You can find detailed show notes at offhours.show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the show, follow us on Twitter at offhours. John can be found on Twitter at under the loop, and Chris can be found on Twitter and Instagram at silver underscore hand. So when working on your paper for the symposium, do you ever print out any drafts or, or start drafts using a pen? Funny enough, I don't. I uh, I tend to write a lot of journal stuff and a lot of details in the shop and things like that on, a, on paper. But yeah, funny enough, I don't, something like a paper, I don't write that by hand to begin with. I find it too awkward to uh, to do, especially because I want to be able to edit it as I go. And so I find that that editing ability is it just prompts being able to write by hand. Uh, and also, while I do enjoy writing by hand and I'm good at it, I, I'm not very fast. You know, I can do 80-odd words a minute or whatever on a keyboard, and there's no way I'd ever be able to write like that. So I, I find I, I just can't get thoughts down fast enough for, for a paper like that on uh, uh, by pen. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't, uh, I've, I've never written like that, at least not since I've left school. You just need to find yourself a nice crimson ink and, and print your document out <laughs> double-spaced. So when I do my editing, that I will actually take and I will put into a PDF on my iPad and I will use the Apple Pencil to edit. Uh, so I will uh, I'll actually do it there. I typically don't print, uh, print out stuff like that and edit it by hand. Yeah, that damn Iridium Point Germany. I have so many people that uh, are like, oh yeah, I've got this really good quality German nib. I'm like, no, no, you don't. Which isn't necessarily a horrible thing. As long as it's smooth and it's been um, been polished well and it's uh, and the feed is good, then then it will uh, it will write well. Well, it's, it's certainly more bulbous than, than your nib, for sure. Yeah, well, as I said, mine mine are not beginner's nibs at all. They are very specifically for me. And in fact, when Mike ground them, you know, he would watch me writing with it as he was grinding with it. You know, so he would grind it a little bit, hand it over to me, watch me write, grind it a little bit, hand it over to me, watch me write. And so it, it is very specifically designed for me, and it is not designed for other people at all. Fascinating. As I said, that's the sort of the dark underbelly of the collection world in the pen <laughs> pen world. It's uh, it's where people people go once they've uh, the addiction is no longer satisfied with just new bottles of ink and new new notebooks. Yeah, a nib custom ground to the natural slant of your hand. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>